Welcome to Continued, part of the teaching ministry here at Third Baptist Church. My name is Keith. I'm one of the pastors here, and our aim in this time is to dig deeper from the sermon on Sunday morning, digging deeper into the text, uh, into exegetical issues, historical issues, contextual issues, whatever issues come up that we feel ought to be chased down a little bit further. My name is Adam. I'm also one of the pastors, and Keith and I are going to be having this conversation. So, welcome to Continued. If God is a singularity, if He's unity only in one person, how can He, before creation, be righteous with nothing else? But yet in Trinity, he is righteous in relation to each other. How can or, he be love? Is exactly. That, that's what in, you're about to that say, was my it? next one. Love. How can he have love if there is nothing else to love? But yet in Trinity, he is love. He he displays love or faithfulness. Or you think all of these character attributes of God, in Trinity it makes sense. Welcome to Continued. We have a discussion today that that is tackling one of the greatest mysteries in our faith. Uh, I hope you are excited to join us for this podcast as we dive in primarily to the Trinity. Um, Keith, we're, we're entering this discussion from your sermon on Sunday, and, and we came out of uh, Acts chapter 3, and this is Peter's, he is preaching to the crowd after his miracle. Um, and so would you walk us through a little bit of the text and, and how your sermon about a miracle and healing of a lame man brought us to a discussion of, of the Trinity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Peter and John walk into the temple, as we talked about last week, and there's this man there, and you know, the Holy Spirit prompts Peter and John to, to look at this man and then prompt them even further to heal this man in the name of Jesus. And so, you know, he gets up, he's running around Solomon's colonnade, this, this open area with thousands of Jewish people there worshiping. Yeah. Leaping. Leaping. Jumping. Yeah. Causing like a, a scene. Like, he really is. He's causing a scene. Probably, you know, ex- exclaiming at the top of his lungs. He may be saying things like, Jesus healed me. You know, and people asking, Jesus healed me. And, um, you know, it, the text says that people run towards Peter and John. Um, and he asks the question, why are you surprised? You know, don't don't look at us as if we have this power. You know, this conversation of the Messiah might have come. Um, this this is you know this this is rumbling around Jerusalem. You know, th- these rumors of the Messiah it had to be the talk of the town it, well, for the past yeah. months. And in fact, you know, you think back to Luke twenty four on the road to Emmaus. You know, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, walks along the two disciples and and he says, "What are you talking about?" And they and they say, "Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know that <laughs> yeah. Jesus?" This man Jesus was here, and we thought he was a Messiah, but he was crucified. So, anyways, yeah, it is the talk of the Have town. Have you been living under a rock? Yeah, yeah, basically, that's what they tell him. Um, and so, you know, Peter says, "Why are you surprised by this? Um, that you know, you worship the God who saves, um, and you've been expecting the Messiah. We're, you know, and the Messiah has come, and we just healed this man, not in our own power, but in the name and of the power of Jesus. And so, then he begins to." 
to, to preach to them, rebuke them for missing him. But in, in doing so, what, what is he doing? Is he, is, he, is he mad at them? Is he saying, um, you know, uh, you, you, all, you all did this. This was the wrong thing to do. Um, you disobeyed God. All these things are a part of it. But, but centrally what he's doing, he's preaching the person of Christ. Um, this Christ whom God sent is this, he's this, and he's this. Essentially, he's the one of whom it was prophesied about, all of these things, and you missed him, uh, and you killed him, you denied him. Um, you know, the, 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 he is the servant of the Lord. Peter calls him the servant Jesus, referencing Isaiah. Um, he calls him the holy and righteous one, Psalm 16. You know, you will not let your righteous one see decay. Um, you know, so there is this one who will be raised from the dead. Um, and then finally, he is the source of life. CSB says, um, you killed the source. Just the irony is just um, unbelievable. You killed the source of life. A, a more direct translation would be the prince of life. So he's the servant of the Lord. He's the holy and righteous one. And he is the prince of life. And you handed him over. So he's, pre- he's preaching Christ. And he's preaching the person of Christ. And we're, and we're learning um, further, you know, this is further revelation from God of who of, of who the Christ is. Um, of course, reflecting on the Old Testament. Yeah, affirming and building on. Yeah, the yeah, Old that's a good Testament. Way. Both affirming and building Christology, a study of Christ, yes. the person of Christ. And so, lead us into your discussion on how learning about the person of Christ leads us into learning the fullness of God and the Trinitarian understanding of who God is. Yeah, specifically from Peter's final point um, of, of, of building you know, an, an Acts 3 Christology of Jesus is the prince of life. You know, what does that mean exactly? Well, first we went to Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, it says in Hebrews 1 and verse 2, In these last days he, this is God, has spoken to us by his Son, God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. Wait a minute. This Jesus, this man born of a virgin, walked the earth. The universe was made through him. <laughs> That's what the writer of Hebrews says. And the, the Jewish mindset, when they think creator, they think God, exactly. the Father. They think God. Exactly. And so for, for Jesus to now be interjected into creation as the agent of creation, this is a new understanding of what the Messiah is, what the Son of God is doing, and, and what his role is. Yeah, it's interesting, though, you know, we talking about the the affirmation of who the Christ is in the Old Testament and the development, what, what Peter is basically saying is this is what the Old Testament scriptures said about him. And and when we're looking back at the Old Testament with, with, with Christ lenses, we see that, that there's no one who could have fulfilled the ministry, the full picture of the ministry of, of, the, of the Christ that the Old Testament gives who, couldn't, who wouldn't be God himself. It, it, it's, it's much more than a man. You know, especially the, uh, we went to Isaiah 53. I mean, no mere man could have fulfilled this ministry. How could God have laid on a, on a man of like nature with us Again, we'll talk about the natures thing because this because that's a complicated um, conversation. But 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 only of like nature of of us of us man and woman fallen, not God, made in God's image, but not God. How could He have placed all the iniquity of all of us on 
him. It would have crushed him to a, to a fine powder. Um, only God could have handled all of uh, the, the iniquity of us, all, of us all. Furthermore, I went to Colossians chapter 1, uh, an incredible, um, really a pillar of Christology, of the Christology being developed in the New Testament. Um, this Christ passage, you know, who is Jesus? Colossians chapter 1. It's, it's a great place to start. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. This is, this is interesting. All things created through him. So similar language as Hebrews chapter 1. But Paul also says all things have been created for him. Um, so it's, it's as if God the Father created the universe through the Son for him to enjoy. Um, you know, a lot of times we look at the sunset and say, God made that for me. Um, let's back up a second. He actually made it for the Son, for the, for the enjoyment of the Son and the glory of God the Father. But in him... You know, we enjoy, it is, it is for us who are in, we are a part of this creation that, that, was, that was made through Christ and for Christ. We, we are, you know, we're like the gift to Christ. We're his bride, you know. Um, and then furthermore, you know, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. We understand the Word to be Jesus himself. The Word was with God. The Word was God. There was not anything that was made that was not made through him. And then the Word put on flesh and dwelt among us. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I learned as a teenager growing up in my, uh, my home church, small little country church, just being discipled by, by my youth pastor, you, you totally affirmed what I learned as a, you know, however many years ago now, um, I was taught if you want to learn about the divinity of Jesus, go to John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1. Yeah. Those first chapters of those three books just affirm and just make a strong case that Jesus is is not just merely a man. He is a man, but he is fully God as well. That's right. And then, Adam, you know, it's developed in Revelation. Revelation chapter 1, when John receives a vision, um, he says in Revelation 1.12, Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like a son of man, dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest. The hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze that is fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. An amazing vision. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. Uh, he laid the his right... The appropriate answer there, the response. There's no other response, you know. And in John's mind, he's not thinking, okay, how should I respond? This was... He, he, he's, he's dead, you know, before him. He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, but look, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys to death and Hades. L- let me ask this question. For those who would question the divinity of Jesus, is this a description of a man, uh, of a man that God sent to be, you know, the the one whom they've waited on, but he's only a mere man? No. And notice too, you know, 
John describes himself as the one whom Jesus loved, right? So they, they were close. You know, they were, they were, you know, they were, I don't want to be too colloquial here, but they were pals. They were friends. Notice when John sees him, he's not, hey, Jesus, it's been a little bit. Man, good yeah. to see you. Puts his arm around him. No, he falls down as if dead and worships. And, and what is, because, because what, what angels do, this will happen in the scriptures, when, when angels appear and men fall and worship, they say, get up. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not God, but Jesus affirms that. He says, I am uh, the first and the last. You know, I, I was dead, but I'm alive forevermore. This is no mere man. Uh, this, is, this is God himself in the flesh. The book of Acts has a beautiful picture of the work of the Spirit, and we've read about that in Acts chapter 2, and, and we've discussed um, how how the Spirit moves and works in the church. And, and here we're getting a, a wonderful proclamation of who Jesus is from Peter. And so we're getting the building blocks for Trinitarian theology. So Keith, could you help us understand what is the doctrine of the Trinity? <laughs> That's mm-hmm. quite a question there, isn't yeah, it? Can yeah. you just, just throw that in out there? In five minutes, I'll get yeah. this one done. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, just in a in a nutshell type analysis, how should we as as regular Christians 2019 understand the Trinity? What is it? And and then let's talk a little bit about where it is in Scripture and, and what implications that has in our real life. Yeah, Adam, let's have this conversation and let's uh, let, let's let's feed off each other here because this you're right. This is such a it's such a foundational doctrine, um, but it also is so profound um, that that we I mean, you know, we, we we're going to try to you know simply lay out uh, the foundations of the of the Trinity, but but we won't even scratch the surface. You know, it's you're so right. profound. I've got a great quote here from Augustine and he said about the Trinity, he said in no other subject is error so dangerous, inquiry so laborious, or discovery of truth more profitable. Mm-hmm. You know, and as we talk about the Trinity, I think I think he's right on. We we need to talk clearly. We need to avoid error in all all situations. But but it's going to be hard. Yeah. Um, this is a mystery. It's it's more than we're fully going to be able to understand, and we need to acknowledge that up front. But at the same time, when we learn more about who God is, man, that is that is treasure. Yeah, and it and it it is such a treasure, and it's also one of the biggest stumbling blocks to those who are outside the faith, um, both secular um, and and highly religious. You know, and we and we can talk about that. You know, the the um, the Muslim um, uh, cannot understand, um, cannot. Um, reconcile that that God is one but how can you say Jesus is also God you know and that's how these cults split off because they just can't they, they, they just can't you know either if I can't fathom it you know it can't be true it, it has to be you know it's 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 nonsense right if we can't fully grasp it yeah. um, I've heard uh, described and I thought this is very helpful the two main challengers to the doctrine of the Trinity is Islam which you mentioned and they just have a radical understanding of unity, and yet in that they don't accept diversity. Mm -hmm. And then the other challenger is post-modernity, which embraces diversity to its full extent but has no unity. Mm -hmm. And so it's with the doctrine of the Trinity that Christianity and the Christian worldview has a firm grasp on both unity and diversity. 
those are great terms, and those are you know philosophical terms that we can that that we that we put in place to help us understand the Trinity, and and I think we'll get to this, but it is about unity and diversity, mm-hmm. and you think about it, the whole universe is patterned after God in the Godhead, three in one, unity and diversity. Let's think about it. We have unity and diversity all over this universe. We, ha- we have a certain unity with, with everything, right? Because it, it all, we, we're all living beings, you know, even the ground, you know, the plants. We have a, this sort of unity, but especially when you get into, you know, man, you know human beings, we, we have unity. We, we are of the, the, of the same flesh. Um, we're made in the same image. But we also have incredible, almost infinite-seeming diversity. So we're all unified in that we are living beings, but yet we, we couldn't be more diverse. What's interesting is a God who is not three in one, who does not have unity and diversity, you know, this is getting, getting pretty philosophical, but it's almost as if he couldn't create a universe that's, that's, that's unified and diversified because the universe follows his character, his pattern, who he is, you know. Um, and uh, so, anyways, let's pause that conversation into the more practical later. We'll get into that. But so, let's talk about this, the, the Trinity. Is the word Trinity found in the Scriptures? It's not. Uh, it's, it's not a scriptural word, but it's like, it's like several other words that we use often. Um, it's not scriptural, but it's, it's, it, if it's anything, it's scriptural, <laughs> right? You know, it's, it's the word yes. itself is not, but the concept is, is, is saturated in Scripture. Um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What do we mean when we call God Trinity? Well, we mean that He is one God. We affirm Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But the we, Shema. The Shema, All yes. Hebrew boys and girls would learn this and memorize this, the Lord our God is one. Yes, monotheism. Right, one God, which separated them from all the pagan religions of the time. That's right. That's right. But as progressive revelation progresses, as God continues to reveal who He is, we find you know we find this mysterious figure being prophesied in the Old Testament, um, one who will carry the iniquities of the world. Isaiah fifty three. Um, uh, you know, I, Isaiah also says we will call him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. He, he's talking about the Christ there. Um, and David writes about him in the Psalms. And the Lord said to my to Lord. my Lord, And yes. so there is this, this uh, incomplete understanding in the Old Testament. They're, they're pointing toward something that is yet not completed. Yeah, that's right. Or, or at least not understood. Not, not understood in full, but you know, David also says his, of his kingdom there will be no end. And, uh, you know, in the prophecies of Daniel, you know, he sees this one like a son of man who's, who is in, in, he's like a son of man, so he has the figure of a man, but uh, he has eternal dominion. Yeah, and they're clearly not talking about God the Father. No. No. They're, they're talking about the one to come. This, this mysterious... One who is God is going to send the servant of the Lord, the holy and righteous one, who will not see decay. <laughs> you know, hold on there. Um, so he won't. He he'll. But what we what we find is he did die, but he you know he defeated death. And so what you know we find as as 
um, God continues to reveal himself, one is coming who will walk this earth, but he will be different. Um, and then, of course, we get to Matthew chapter 1, and we see you know, Jesus' uh, birth into this world different than any other man or woman into this world. He's born of a virgin. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and then he's born, and he's, and he's, and he's raised, and you know, he's, he's doing things in the temple. You know, he's, he's confounding the, the, the rabbis at the age of 13. You know? um, where did this you know, little kid get this learning? Um, and then we get to his ministry, and he begins to do things that only God can do. You know, you think about when he calms this, I mean, in, in all of them. This is kind of, you know, uh, from what we talked about last week of, of Jesus' miracles are signs that he is God himself. You think about the calming of the, of the storm. Um, you know, when, when <laughs> you know, he's asleep. And they wake him up, and he says, "Peace, be still." He's he's like he's rebuke. It's like how we would rebuke our children, you know. Stop that. Be quiet. And the wind and the sea obeys him. And it says that that <laughs> that the disciples were were utterly astounded and terrified. You know, Mark says that they were terrified because they're they're looking at this man in the boat, and they're they're finally realizing. This may be God Himself yeah, they in the say, boat with us. They say, "Who is this yeah, yeah. that can speak to the wind and the waves yeah. and say, be quiet?'" Of course, yes. And and it's it is the Creator is master over the creation. Yeah. And they're they're starting to connect the dots. Yeah. And then when He walks on water, <laughs> I mean, what man? What man? Could 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 do this in such in such calm and you know casual fashion. He's just and, he, and Mark says he meant to pass by them, which is, which almost has allusions to you know Exodus uh, thirty three when 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 the you know when the glory of God passes by Moses. You know, similar language in the Greek is Septuagint. And it says they were utterly terrified. You know, uh, um, they thought it was a ghost at first, and then they realized it's Jesus. And they're just, they're just, you know, uh, just amazed. Um, again, who then is this? And then, of course, you know, he continues to do miracles, and then the ultimate miracle, he he defeats death. He defeats death, um, and and he's worshipped. You know, and and all throughout the Gospels, he's worshipped. You know, and, 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 and he accepts that worship. He doesn't rebuke it. Right, he he accepts the worship, and then on the mountain when he calls them to see them, that you know some of them worship, but some of them doubted, and then of course he ascends to the Father, um, and uh, and and Paul tells us in Philippians two um, because you know uh, Jesus, you know he he humbled himself even to the point of death, um, but now God has bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> okay? You know, th- this is God himself, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, who is God himself. And as the church progresses and, and grows and, and the canon is closed, there's still misunderstanding about who Jesus is, and and as wrong ideas pop up in the church, well, you know, it, it's written in the New Testament that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Yeah. What does that mean? And so as wrong interpretations crop up, the necessity to clarify this doctrine of the Trinity is is apparent. Yeah, that's right. And, and one of the first challenges um, was Arius. Um, who who saw these things that you mentioned in scripture, 
and says, okay, so he's his only begotten son. Um, in, you know, in, the, in the great Christological passage of Colossians 1, says that he's the firstborn over all creation. Um, so he's, he's begotten and he's the firstborn, not to mention in his ministry, he's praying to the Father. You know, he's, he's, he's lower than the Father. He's submitting to the, not your will, not, or excuse me, not my will, but your will, Jesus says. And so at the beginning, you know, in like the 300s, there's this sect under, uh, under the leadership of Arius that says, you know what, I th- we've actually figured out Christian theology. Jesus has prominence. Um, he's the best. He's the best, but he was created. He was a created being. Yeah. The first one, the best of all creation. Yeah, that's right. And what's what's interesting, you know, we have in the text, it's it's clear um, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are God. You know, the Holy Spirit is, um, you know, Jesus speaks of Him in John fourteen as He. You know, He will come. He is the Comforter. Capital H. That, yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's the writer of Scripture. He's the inspirer of, of men. Um, he's the interpreter of Scripture. He who is the Spirit of Christ, who is the Spirit of God, you know, lives inside of us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, so, you know, it's, it's clear in the Scriptures. And so you have this, this um, you know, this short document of basic beliefs called the Apostles' Creed that tried to sum up, you know, Christian theology in, in really a nutshell. And, and what did they say? They said, uh, here's the Apostles' Creed. And we actually don't know when this was formulated. It, it's so early that it's, it's undocumented. Yeah. It, it was just a staple of the early church from the very beginning. Yeah, that's right. And, and, and even at the very earliest stages, a Trinitarian understanding is, is the formula for this doctrine. That's right. That's right. Listen for, to what they say. Creed, excuse me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. And then it goes through Jesus' ministry. He was crucified. He died. He raised. He was raised. Now he ascended to the Father. Then it, then it ends. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, which means the unified church, right? Um, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. So we have an initial, immediate Trinitarian framework of theology, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, With the emphasis on describing who is Jesus, yeah. and, and yet Arius gets it wrong. Yeah, so this Arius, is, yeah, we're talking about Arius. Mm-hmm. Arius comes after. Yeah. He, so even with this Apostles' Creed in place, Arius gets it wrong. He tries to promote Jesus as a created being, which leads to all the churches and the leaders at the time needing to get together and have a council. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, Arius is saying, you know, he, he's dependent on the Father, he's begotten, he's created. So this causes quite the stir, uh, you know, among the early church. You've got Athanasius, who was a leader, and Athanasius basically says, if, if Jesus was not God, you're not saved, you know, that that and, and his his doctrine of the incarnation um, and of and Jesus becoming a, a man, of Jesus becoming a man, and us being saved. Um, his you know his, his it's called you know his incarnational soteriology. God becoming man is in direct correspondence to man being saved. Th- those things cannot be pulled apart. Yeah, you can't have salvation without. 
God becoming man. Exactly. So they get together in 325. All the leaders, the bishops, the the, That's right. the churches. Yes. And they and they have this debate. Who's going to come out on top? You know, and at this point, it's, it's different than it is today. You know, you would have official statements of faith. Okay, this is what the church believes, right? So this was crucial. Because at the time, there was one church. Yeah. This was a unified, as you mentioned, there was just one Christian church. That's right. And so they had this debate. It's passionate. Um, it's, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of emotion. Um, but what do all the, all the bishops who come together, what, how, how does it come out? And we would say, you know, the Holy Spirit guided um, these men to formulate what is called the Nicene Creed. Okay, here's it, which is, which is not biblical. It, it, excuse me, it's not, it's not scriptural. You know, the, the, the Nicene Creed was not pulled from the Bible, but it is thoroughly biblical. It describes what yes. the Bible says. We don't hold the Nicene Creed as scripture itself. It is a interpretation of scripture. It is a, a guiding document as we understand and know what scripture means. That's right. And what, what do they say? I'm not going to, I would encourage our listeners, um, you know, pause us right now or right after, uh, look up the Nicene Creed, read through it. Um, it. It'd even be, you know, nice to have this memorized. You know, it's, it's, it, it is, you know, the initial, um, not the initial, Apostles' Creed is initial, but it's, but it's a much more fleshed out and robust um, Trinitarian understanding of who God is. I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to hit the highlights. We believe in one God, Okay, you know, the Apostles' Creed, you know, um, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages. Listen to this. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, but listen to this, not made, you know, (laughs) very specific to the conversation going on. They were, they were precision words. They thought about every word exactly what it meant. They sure did. And listen to this, and we'll focus on this, of the same essence as the Father. That was, that was probably the most important word uh, in the Nicene Creed. Jesus is of the same essence as the Father. Through him, all things were made. Um, then he then, you know, it talks about uh, for us and our salvation, Colossians 1 language. Then it uh, uh, talks about Jesus' ministry. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son is worshiped and glorified. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, all of the same essence. And that that word essence, it really was the hinge of the debate. Is Jesus of a different quality, of a different essence than God the Father, or is he the same essence? Even though his distinct roles to be of the same essence was uh, the Trinitarian formula. It's talking about, um, you know, all of the different heresies that came up. You know, how can we explain the Trinity in a way that we can understand? Okay, one God, but three manifestations. You know, he, he manifested himself as the Father, then he manifested himself as a Son. Now he manifests himself as the Holy Spirit. You know, it's a faulty... Modalism. It's called modalism. Yeah, yeah it's faulty understandings of, of just, you know, we uphold this doctrine, the Trinity... One God, three persons of the same essence, and really, we may need to stop there. 
And just understand the mystery of it. Because every analogy is going to fall short. It is. No analogy can capture in its fullness what the Trinity really is. Yeah. There is an element of mystery. We we can't fully grasp in totality God. We, we can't. If, if that was the case, what sort of God would he be if we exactly. had him mastered? But yet this doctrine is essential to our faith. So let's... let's Bring the conversation into real life. And, man, we've, we've talked about church history and it's such good information to know where we have come from and, and these brilliant minds that God used in, in the past. How does this impact our daily life? The, the average Christian sitting in the pew, uh, should they care about Trinity? They should care about the Trinity. Really, that's why we're we're having this podcast. You know, it's, it's you know because unfortunately, a, a lot of us, if we don't think deeply about this, will fall into you know a heresy here or a heresy there in our in our description of Jesus as God. So it is important for us to have this you know this foundational theology, a, a, an understanding of it, so that we uh, can read the Word properly, um, and then so we can also be a defender. Um, of God's word, when when those who come at us say, "No way, no three and one," you know that doesn't even make sense to be able to to articulate uh, what we believe about the Trinity. Here, here's four really quick, practical implications of the Trinity in the life of a normal believer. And I want to hear what you think about these, and if uh, if this does intersect with the real life. Number one, uh, the Trinity does distinguish Christianity from all other religions. Um, it is a, a unique factor of our faith that if we deny that, if we lose this, then we slip into all these other world religions. Um, and so this is a, a distinguisher that we need to understand who we are and what we believe. Uh, number two, as we dive into the Trinity, as we understand the Trinity more, we, we understand the character of God in a fuller and, and more rich way. I mean, you think about the righteousness of God. If God is a singularity, if he's unity only in one person, how can he, before creation, be righteous yeah. with nothing else? But yet in Trinity, he is righteous in relation to each other. How can or, he be love? Is exactly. That, that's what in, you're about to that say, was my it? next one. Love. How can he have love if there is nothing else to love? But yet in Trinity, he is love. He he displays love or faithfulness. Or you think all of these character attributes of God, in Trinity it makes sense. So we understand more about who God is in, uh, apart from his creation. In himself, he is these things, and that only works when when Trinity is in place. Uh, thirdly, we see just this this necessity of relationships. The Trinity is all about relationship, the the communion of God Himself. Why do should we love each other? You know, if if you're Christians, they'll know you by your love. Why do we love? Because God is love. How does he love? The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. Spirit. It's a trinity of, of love. You know, we think about our, our marriages, um, the different roles within, with, within all of our lives that we play. You know, there's roles within the Godhead. And all relationships, as we relate to one another, we can look to God himself as the pattern. Within our churches, how we are all different parts, but there's one body. You know, just so many real-life implications there. And the last one is 
uh, we throw out this phrase, the glory of God. We, we do this for the glory of God. We, we live for the glory of God, whatever it is. How can we understand the glory of God apart from Trinity? Um, you know, a critique is, you know, why would God want all the glory for himself? He's just a selfish monster. But within Trinity, a Trinitarian understanding of God, you see the Father exalting the Son. You see the Son glorifying the Father. And so God is not a selfish monster, but he is selflessly glorifying himself. Yeah, yeah. And and what is the Holy Spirit's role? The Holy Spirit's role is to exalt Christ, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And they're all working together in the Godhead uh, for the glory of God. Uh, so, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah, this 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 call for all things to glory God and to be made for Him, yeah. uh, through Him and for Him, it's not out of His need for something, but it really it is out of the overflow of His own self-love within the Trinity. Yeah. Because of what the Trinity is, God created out of the overflow of that. Yeah. So just so many amazing and wonderful real-life connection points between the Doctrine and Trinity and, and us here today. Yeah. What, what you've described and what we've described in this podcast, you know, just scratching the surface, is Trinitarian theology, which is Christian theology. And like you said, that's, that's what separates Christian theology from the rest of, the, of all the other theologies, is this Trinitarian theology. What we don't realize is everything in all of creation is patterned after the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the unity of the Trinity and the diversity of the Trinity. Everything that you mentioned, Adam, that was so good. All of creation in the church, you know, the different roles, um, you know, Paul's language of we're all one body. You know, not everybody can be eyes, not everybody can be nose, not everybody can be hands, but we're all, we're, we're all diverse, but we're all one body. You know, and that finds its fullness. We're the body of Christ. You know, it, it's just, uh, it, it is all patterned after the glory of God in His triune form, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs>